You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Everybody and welcome to Philly's Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne, joined once again by my co-host yes. John Brazier, who's already laughing and well, making I got, faces. I got, at me. I got Larry Anderson <laughs> sitting in the middle of us. We how have. Larry how are we going to make this a straight show? <laughs> we're not. We're, we're off to a great start here. Welcome, Larry, to our. Uh, Podcast? Can you believe it? No, I can't. I can't believe it at all. Hey, are you a little weirded out that Brazier's using the same microphone that you use every night? Yeah, I'm sitting in your seat right here. But he's wearing a Be Bold t-shirt right now. So yeah, I am. I like that. Anything's possible. That's exactly right. You know who was sporting that the other night? Uh, Jason Kelsey came to our uh, Bark in the Park night, brought his dog, and he had the Be Bold shirt on. He had the Phillies shirt on. That guy, or the uh, Phillies hat on. You got to love it. You, you got to love, love it. it. And you got to love Jason. Jay Wright was here as well for Bark in the Park. Yeah. yeah we had yeah, a lot of celebs night. out there with their dogs. Jay yeah. was kind of like, uh, often uh, looked like kind of just away, just kind of Well, he was in the section where all the, they, they have a couple sections where they. Uh, oh, specifically, specifically for the Specifically for the people okay. who bring their dogs. Yeah, and he was in the, he was hanging with the people. Huge. And, and the fan. dogs. Yeah. yeah, good stuff. L.A., great to have you. Thanks. And uh, there's a reason we have you is because, uh, well, the 93 team is being honored this weekend, right? Finally, John, we've been talking about the 93 team a lot uh, the last couple of weeks. We had Mickey uh, Morandini on and uh, Video Dan had a couple fun stories from 93. But uh, it's a great season, I think, for us, John, to start this podcast because we're honoring the, the 93 team, 25-year anniversary, anniversary, and then the 10-year uh, 2008 uh, anniversary is coming up, so a lot, lot of stories. And, and this weekend, just to let listeners know, there's a lot of things going on. We're going to have first pitches. I know Dan- Danny Jackson's doing the first pitch on Friday. Izzy's doing it on Saturday. I think we've got a surprise on Sunday. We've got some surprise base changers. There's going to be some photo ops. There could be some other fan surprises out there. We're going to bring 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 in, I think, like 20, 22 players. 22 players. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I know guys that Larry hasn't seen for a long time, like some of your relievers, like David West and Bobby Thigpen, right? And Who? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Larry, that was 25 years ago. Is David West going to be here? Yeah. Wasted. Yeah, yeah. He's got nice. a lot of it. Oh, have a, it's, boy. You know, we got Pratty. We got uh, Kurt Schilling. We got Ben Rivera, Danny Jackson. Uh, you got Ricky Jordan. I know you got Mickey, obviously. You've got Dave Hollins. Uh, you've got uh, Milt. You've got... Uh, Chili Chamberlain. Uh, Wes Chamberlain. Uh, I think uh, Tony Longmire. Uh, as I mentioned, David West. You've got Paul Fletcher. You've got Jeff Manto. Uh, I heard there might be Ruben Amaro might be uh, really? being able to get Ed, a little Ed Wade will be free here. Pat, yeah, uh, Lee Thomas, obviously. Do you, uh, do you look forward to these weekends, L.A.? When you have everybody together and are the stories flying, I can only imagine. Uh, providing everybody has name tags. That's what, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a high school reunion kind of thing. It really is. Uh, I, I was telling somebody not long ago um, that, that, you know, we're at the owner's party in spring training. I said, I, I, you know, there's so much turnover in the organization, players, everybody. And as I go to the owner's party, I was like, you know, half the people – uh, I don't recognize, and the half that I do recognize, I forgot their names. So it's kind of like the 93 team. I, I, 
I recognize everybody. I'm just not sure I remember their names. It's been a while. I'm John. And that's Tom. <laughs> you guys okay. weren't on the 93 team? <laughs> we weren't on that oh, 93 okay. team. Yes. <laughs> well, but you, you see a lot of these guys at Fantasy yeah. Camp, right? Yeah. So you do keep up I've with some of your teammates. Seen a fair from number there. of them, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's always a good time. You know, that it is. It's like a high school reunion, except it was, uh, I guess there was. It, there was more to it than just high school. I mean, everybody grades high school. Everybody, yeah. uh, you know, graduates. Well, not everybody graduates, but some, most most of you guys did. And and that, and that, so that's like everybody does it. But this is just a small group, you know. Well, especially you that year, because how many years oh. did you play Major League Baseball? Uh, parts of 17. 17 years, all right. Was there any one year that was as unique and fun as that year? No. The, the 86 Astros was probably the first I got closest to, to what I thought. Well, let me put it this way. When, growing up, I thought baseball would be, and, and growing up, I see, you know, getting a little older, too, in high school and that. Um, but from the time I was little, I just thought, man, those big leaguers, they just they go out and they play the game and they sit in the clubhouse after the game in the locker room and they, they just sit around and have a beer and talk about the game. And it never happened. I mean, it, it, it did some in the minor leagues more so than the, in the, the big leagues. And then in 86, when I went to Houston, after I got released from Philly, I, I went to Houston. And that team, we sat around in a circle in a clubhouse. And, and we sat around and talked, the veterans, and we bring the rookies in, Caminiti uh, and Biggio. Um, and it was just uh, it was a great time. But it, it, it wasn't the, the – even though we were very, very close and had good chemistry and a lot of camaraderie, it, it still – nothing will touch – the, the How did that get started team. with you guys then? Well, yeah, and I want to. What I want to do, John, I, I think it. Well, I think first of all, it goes to the off season before '93. The the players we brought in. Um, I well, think now it, you're going back 26 <laughs> years. I forget, know, I, I got no chance. Well, but yeah, and then, uh, but then in spring training, and you know what I'd like to do, LA, is really kind of take you back 25 right. years ago to that spring training. What led, you know, kind of led up to uh, that season, and then some of the highlights throughout the season. Um, you know, what was interesting to me is you kept a diary of that yeah. season, which you didn't usually make a point of it. I think it was, what, the first time you ever yeah. really kind of – so you must have known going into that season, um, you know, that maybe there's something something there. Uh, but I'd love to take you back to, uh, you know, that spring training and just talk about some of the new guys that were brought in and how they were kind of brought into the craziness of that clubhouse. Well, I think the, the thing is that that 92 team had a core. They had a nucleus, but it was mostly offense. You know, I, I think 92, they had a very good offense. They they could score, you know, eight, nine runs, but they'd give up 10. They had no pitching. So, you know, some of the veterans they brought in were, were pitchers. Um, myself, David West, and when I say veterans, I say guys that had big league experience, not necessarily Danny Jackson. 10, 12 years, but DJ, uh, myself, Thiggy came in, um, uh, David West. Uh, it was just it, – uh, Is Mulholland I, on that team? Was yeah. Mahone brought in? He was already on. He was already on the team, yeah. right? Right, sure. And, and so they had. Shill uh, was here, um, and and he just took it to another level. And then you know Mulholland was already veteran, but to bring in Danny Jackson to fit him into the rotation. Ben Rivera somehow. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he was brought in that year. I don't know if he was already in the system, but I, I'm not sure. I Think he might have been in the system already, but I'm mm -hmm. not positive. Um, but it all in spring training, it, it was just it was like everybody knew each other, but still kind of didn't know each other. They knew the personalities, and of course, from my time being with the Phillies, you know, starting in '83, uh, Dutch was here, 
um, and being old, I'd played with a lot of guys and being, you know, with a number of teams. So it, w it was just more of a thing of just guys came in and they kind of just knew each other already. But but the connection to me, what, what what reminds or what makes me think what really turned this team around was at one point in spring training, it's like, you know, this was a group of guys that they enjoyed their adult beverage. There's no question about it. Um, and so we're in spring training. It's like, well, why can't we have a beer? You know, I mean, I know it's never been allowed. It's never happened. But neither has a team like this ever happened. So I made a deal with uh, Kevin Steinauer, who's a visiting clubhouse now here at Citizens Bank Park, the visiting clubhouse manager. But uh, I call him Junior. Uh, Steiny was down in spring training, and he was in charge of doing the catcher's gear, cleaning it and wiping it off after every game. So uh, the fact that I was an actual, actually the first ever player clubby in 1973 in Reno, um, I had some experience with those types of things. So I said to Junior, I said, hey, how about if, if we get some money, will you go to the store for us and buy us some beer, and I'll take care of the catcher's gear. I'll clean that up. So I, somebody's actually got a picture of me cleaning the catcher's gear. That's a good deal right there. Yeah. Great deal. So I don't know how much we ended up giving him, but he came back with a fair amount of beer. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's kind of where it started. I mean, this and is did probably Did you have to clear this through Fergosi, or you guys just did it on your own? Um, I think Fergosi – I don't know if Fergosi was still there or not. I know at one point he saw us – um, with beer in a clubhouse, just basically kind of rolled his eyes, but almost in in pleasure, in, in approval. Right. And uh, so we just kind of continued it on. And um, so so we're sitting there, and, and we were having our beers, and I'd finished the catcher's, cleaning the catcher's gear. And so we're all sitting on one side of the clubhouse, probably 10 of us. And then at the other end of the clubhouse is Eisenreich. And I didn't really know him, but I knew of him because I faced him his rookie year, and I was, it was my first year with Seattle when they first opened the Metrodome. And so I just kind of made a sense like, hey, Isaac, come on, come on and join us. And he goes, nah, I'm, I, I don't drink. Uh, he said, I'm just, I'm just reading the sporting news. And he was naturally quiet compared to everybody yes, else. Yeah. Right. And then out of nowhere, Cookie goes, oh, that's Dahmer down there. He's just waiting for one of us to pass out so we can get something to eat. <laughs> And and so the nickname of Dahmer stuck with Eisenreich, and that that kind of it really it, that kind of galvanized uh, you guys. Or? It, it did. It, yeah. it it gave us something to rally around. Here's Dahmer. Let's right. rally around Dahmer. Of course, that's what you want to do. Then he had uh, a bow and arrow too. Then he look at Dalton and point to him and said, "That one's got a lot of meat on yeah, that, on yeah. him." <laughs> oh yeah, and Izzy, I mean. <laughs> Hey, you learned Excuse how to do me. it. Yeah. <laughs> Taking a few years. But uh, Izzy was uh, – um, he had gone through with his Tourette's, and, and when yep. he first came in the big leagues, nobody knew what it was. I remember it, when when I faced him in rookie ball, or in, in a, my uh, Izzy's rookie year in the Metrodome, and Rick Sweet was our catcher. And after the first inning, Izzy, I think, was hitting second. And Rick Sweet comes back to the dugout, and he goes, man, that, that isn't rich, dude. He's he's talking to bugs and stuff up there. He's he's like having conversations and and he's like some something, something's up with that guy. And and at that time, still nobody knew it was Tourette's. And, right. And it went on for a few years. Um. And then he actually got out of baseball. And so when he came back, when when Crucky did that and gave him that Dahmer name, it it almost like made it, him it, included. It validated right. him. Yep. As a player and not not just a guy that that had had some issues in the big leagues. Um. You know, neurological or whatever, whatever it is. Um, 
and, and so it, he took to it, and and he just opened up, and it, it was really kind of a rallying point for everybody, as you said, to kind of galvanize the team. And from that point on, it was Katie bar the door. We're, <laughs> right. we're going to have fun, and we're going <laughs> to play some safe. games, and we're going to win a lot of games. And didn't spring training you guys have a big brawl? Like oh that? yeah. Now, did that yep. also kind of supposedly galvanize you guys or kind of brought you get together as a team? Absolutely. Uh, playing down in St. Pete, playing the Cardinals. And Hollins had been hit, and he had made a comment. He's like, if I get hit again and and somebody on our club doesn't back me up, I'm coming after you. But that, that's enough you to put that, the right? fear of God <laughs> you in don't want that. So, Because this guy, he's one of those guys, and I'm not kidding, he will fight to the death. And if he's still got a breathing one last breath, he, he will do everything he can to kill you. And so, uh, Ricky Jordan got uh, got. There was a, kind of a couple of close pitches, and then I think it was Donovan Osborne was pitching for St. Louis, and he hit Ricky Jordan. Ricky Jordan's like, "Heck with this! I'm going to the mound." And it was like spring training, a brawl like that. But it was it, it, it's it, that there were so many things that kind of set the tone in spring training for what this team felt the, the fight that they had at him the, the the desire to win the desire to beat everybody beat i'm like it was like beat them up let's like let's just pummel them and and that attitude just just carried it it, it blossomed and it carried out throughout the season and it, but that's really where it started and it was it was amazing to be a part of and another big part of that spring too is dutch signed a long-term deal right yes. and uh that would that i know yeah, well, uh, actually, you guys had was, some ideas of what to do with the money right well they they <laughs> They put it out on the uh, on the wall at Jack Russell Stadium, the big billboard like we have the WB Mason here, the Yingling sign out in the outfield. Well, it was a Hooters sign. It was with Lynn Austin, his wife his at the wife, time, yeah. and it said, uh, "Put up had a picture of her, and then like was like Dalton, eighteen point six million. And then that 18.6 was crossed out but nine. and put 9.3. So She was getting half of that. Yeah, pretty much. I, I can't say he was happy about it. But that's the um, way you guys, but again, bust on each other and, but and a, came together because of all that. The thing about it, it wasn't the players, the, to my knowledge. It was, it was somebody in the front office. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's my understanding. Now, I, they didn't actually paint it, I don't believe, but... Um, I'm, I'm not going to reveal any other info, um, but it was, uh, if my, my, if, if it's true from what I've heard all along is that it was, uh, somebody in the front office. How about that? But you um, guys, you had ideas had to what it. to do with the money too, right? And I, mean, I had uh, some advice for him because <laughs> yeah. I could help him with that. I've been through it. Well, didn't you say, uh, to your now ex-wife that, uh, you know, she was a little, you know, that season you were spending so much time at the ballpark and hanging out with the guys, but didn't you try to explain that, uh, drinking after the game was part of your job description? Absolutely. All right. It, so, and she wasn't it, buying that? No. And I, I, you know, it took. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not going to go well. It, it took. Almost another year before the court decided that we just couldn't agree on it. So, <laughs> but but your idea too, which I th- thought was a brilliant idea of using that money, right, to to have a big house. What was your idea? Well, it was that was coming back from from a trip in spring training. But you know, Dutch had signed this big contract, and we're you know the derelicts were in the back of the bus, and and Crucky uh, uh, had said to Dutch, he's like, Dutch, why don't, why don't you just why don't you just build a big mansion? 
take some of that money, build a big mansion, we'll just party, we'll have friends over, and we'll just drink and party and play baseball, nothing else. And no sooner the the, the words come out of his mouth, and Inky goes, if you build it, we will come. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a classic. That that was that, that that's one story I'll never forget, and I, I just it, it's so it's vivid in my mind. Well, it's uh, what a spring train. I mean, we can see it. Just the team started coming together. I just love the fact that you guys talk baseball. And yeah, you, you hung out afterwards. I know on those long bus trips to you know. Uh, Vero Beach, and you know some of these guys would come back to the clubhouse in Clearwater and meet the buses, and still hang out in the in the trainer's yeah. room and in the clubhouse. So it all started there. You know what? Let's take a quick break, uh, guys. And uh, when we come back, the 1993 season starts, and uh, there are a few more stories to come. So we'll be right back after this. Celebrate 90s style and music at the Phillies 1990s Retro Night. Wear your shoulder pads and skinny ties and take lots of selfies Friday, June 8th at 7.05 against the Brewers. Tickets and more info at phillies.com. We are back, Phillies backstage. Our special guest is Larry Anderson, and we're talking about that 93 season. Uh, a season we'll never forget. Um, the season starts L.A. You sweep Houston, then you come back. <laughs> you come back for the opener, and Wes Chamberlain oversleeps for opening day, <laughs> the home opener. And uh, again, uh, you know, I guess you're, there were some people busting his chops probably on opening day. I know the fanatic did. The fanatic did a thing where. Uh, <laughs> When he got introduced, the next game, the, uh, the you know the following game, uh, the fanatic decided to take a little <laughs> nap on his four wheeler, and Wes Chamberlain took the fanatic aside and said, "Yeah, that was really funny, but don't ever do that again." <laughs> but uh, just another uh, you know crazy thing. And then as the season moves on, LA, you know, just the fact that that clubhouse and the trainers' room uh, became such a, a place to hang out. Uh, you know, we talked, I think, with Mickey about having to blow out a door. It was our palladium. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You didn't have to go all the way down to the palladium. Well, and you also had Harry the Callus, Harry the K joining you. Yeah. Harry, I almost said Harry the Callus. Harry the K. <laughs> He was part of the group. I think one of the things with, with um, going back to Chamberlain to oversleeping is that obviously Fergosi talked to him, but, but that was minimal. That was minor compared to how the players treated him. And and it was it was basically saying, dude, you screwed up big time. That's just that's not acceptable. Acceptable. We're we're not going to do that around here. We're not we're not going that route. And and he he wore it for a while. And and guys were mad. They were upset, and rightly so. Um, but wasn't the beauty of the team that that Fergosi let you guys please itself, and Darren was a big part of that. That's what I was going to get at. That that's a lot of a lot of that stuff happened, you know, with with Chamberlain. And Fergosi basically, I mean, he had to talk to him. That's, he has to. But Fergosi, I think, was minimal compared to what he had to face with us. And Fergosi let us just treat him the way we wanted, the way we felt. And, um, and to Chile's credit, he he took it, he wore it, and and he he ended up it was a big part of that ball club. He was a much beloved teammate. Um, funny. I don't know if it was on purpose or. Or if, I, I'm not sure, but uh, 
it was just a big part of it. But the, but that policing really became important. Yeah, that, that we did it ourselves. Huge. And Dutch and was the head of that. Dutch was a big part of that. And early in the season, I know Mitch. Uh, if he'd get yanked out of a game, or if he didn't get his save, Dutch would be in his face. If Schilling was worried more about his stats and making the All Star game, Dutch was in his face. So, uh, you know, it seems that whole policing thing. Y- you had a lot of fun, but there was a seriousness to that team, which people yeah. probably didn't understand. Mm-hmm. No, the, I, I think, and I've, I've said this a number of times, and I, I don't think it's any would be any surprise to anybody. I think any player would say it is that this team played as hard off the field as they did on, but they didn't let that affect what they did on the field. And once once they crossed that white line, the start of a game, I mean, it was game on. There was no joking. There was no messing around. I mean, obviously you're having a blot or something, you're high-fiving in a dugout and you're happy, but, I mean, it was business. It was like, let's go out, let's take care of business, let's do what we got to do, play this game the right way, win this game. And that was the other thing. We, we went out and we – believed that we were going to win every game. We absolutely believed that. How big, of a, how big was intimidation to that team, too, as far as uh, certainly with the press was I, a little intimidated going into that clubhouse? Uh, certainly the other team, maybe even the other team's fans. I mean, I think and, t- and Tom, from our perspective, the, the trainer was intimidating. The, oh, club, sure. the clubhouse guy Everybody was, was scared of Coop. I mean, the coaching staff was intimidating with Vuk and everybody. That was an intimidating just atmosphere. It, it was, and it was almost like uh, – that intimidation was our force field. It was like no nobody could get in there. Nobody could come in and rattle us. We we had that that way about us, and, and uh, it may, but mostly from Macho Row. But you know, you figured Dutch, uh, uh, Hollins, Crucky, Mitch. I mean, chill. These guys they didn't care. You know, Ricky Jordan. They, they were gonna they were gonna battle. Now you were older than everybody on that team did you did you take on a kind of an older brother or almost like a father type role or did you where where did you see your role on that team um i was more uh with the pitchers with with uh if something happened with the pitchers one instance in particular when uh shilling was pitching a game it was three to one in the ninth inning mitch thought he was coming in and so he's heated up and he doesn't get in the game. Schilling finishes it, gets the complete game. We win three to one. Everybody's in the clubhouse. We got their music going. The uh, two, was it two princes? Yeah, sure. And, uh, spin doctors. Spin doctors. Yeah. Spin doctors. And and so we're you know hooting it up in the clubhouse. And then it seemed like five minutes later, here comes Mitch. Comes in the clubhouse, throws his glove in the locker, rips his jersey off, and Dutch. I mean, immediately stood up and got in his face. And he's like, "What's your problem?" He goes, I don't have a problem. He said, well, it looks like you do. What's your, you know, and obviously there was some expletives going back and forth. And, I mean, they were pretty close face-to-face, not to fighting, but both making their point. Like, I'm going to make my point, and the other one I'm going to make. And finally, Dutch just said, he called me Drew, and which is easy to understand why, right? <laughs> yes. Let me explain Andy. it. Andy. Because Anderson, Andy, the right. nickname Andy, yep. to Andrew, I to Drew. Yeah. Drew. So, we got it. Got there. Uh, good. You guys, you guys I really, can read your mind, Ellie. Oh, that's Remember? right. We have ESPN. Yes, we have ESPN. Um, but uh, so at one point, Dutch said, Drew, we, come here. Come and talk to this guy. I can't. And so Mitch and I went in the back weight room, and, and we discussed it. And um, I just said, you know, I, I, I'm, what's the deal? And he's like, you know how it is. You, you know exactly how it is. You warm up. You're fired up. You're ready to go in the game. You don't get in. I'm like, Yeah. But it doesn't piss me off that we won. I mean, 
And, and so I, he says, well, that's just all, that's all it was. I, I'm happy we won. And, and I said, and I told Mitch, I said, look, I'm not going to call you a liar. You've never lied to me that I know of, so I'm not here to do that. But I said, what I am going to tell you is the, the, the speculation, the, the reality of it is it looked like you were pissed because you didn't get in that game and get a save. And I said, it's just, you know, again, I'm not saying you're lying, but that's what it looks like. So just, like, be careful with that. Uh, now, off the field, too, you, you obviously had a lot of fun. So did you have a burping contest with John Goodman yes. uh, in the clubhouse? <laughs> yes. You're not in the interrogation chair, by the way, but uh, could you, was it you? Was it you who did that? And well, did you beat John Goodman? This I Actually, I wasn't with the Phillies at the time. Though. Okay. I was with San Diego, and uh, after every win, I would come in and, drink down like half a beer and then let out a you know, yep. 10 second belch well uh, our owner was uh, mr warner who was the producer of roseanne and obviously john goodman was on that show so he was in the clubhouse after the game and we we're at dodger stadium and so we win the game i come in i didn't even pay you know know that he was there but i let out a belch and i'm looking around because guys are laughing and I look around, I see him, and his eyes just lit up. And he looks at me and he goes, you're on. <laughs> I said, all right. So he takes a sip and of his uh, adult beverage and lets out a little belch. <laughs> just, I was kind of like laughing. I was like, I felt sorry for this guy because he's going to get annihilated in a minute. So I took a big chug, and I let out probably a 10-second belch. And he came down, got on his knees, and bowed down at my feet. And I was like, that's pretty nice there for a is. belch. Well, I think they found out about your belching in Lehigh Valley because didn't you, <laughs> the first game well. of the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, you were working up there, right, doing radio. Yeah. And uh, you had a little problem with maybe your cough button. Well, no, I didn't. Uh, I, what I had a problem was with, was with my mute button. Your mute button. Yeah, which is the same as a cough button. But I wasn't familiar with the, the audio boxes they, they had up there. I, I wasn't familiar with a whole lot. And as some people will attest to, I wasn't real happy about being there. So, <laughs> no. But nevertheless, nevertheless. <laughs> nevertheless. <laughs> we, we won't go there. Yeah. Um, so, so I... I had a belch coming up and then sometimes i have to burp so instead i'm looking for a cough button i don't see it so i just turn the volume down well it's the volume In to my headphones. own headsets <laughs> so i let out this belch and i'm the only one that didn't hear it right <laughs> and it was a good 10 second booth, one right it was a pretty good size yeah <laughs> so everybody is that, heard is it is there an audio clip of that <laughs> they're probably somewhere <laughs> they're, no you don't hope uh, hey, so, you have actually, Video Dan just yeah. walked by, and I have to ask you, in 93, the video room was a whole nother – you had the trainer's room, but you also had the video room. Uh, there are two games i got to ask you about. <clears throat> the 441 game, and then three days later we play a game that goes 20 innings. You spent most of your time, I think, in the video room. Uh, although I looked it up. You pitched the eighth inning of the second game of that 441 game. You came into the game at 334 a.m. That day. That's why they would say the shank of the evening shank for of me. The evening. <laughs> what do you remember about that game, other than Mitch getting the hit to win it, uh, win that game? Just the delays. Uh, uh, mm. the, uh, there was something about 11.25, and I don't know why I keep thinking that. 11.30, right around that time, I have no idea why. Um, so that really is not relevant to anything. Um, 
You got another question? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, the, the first no. game ended at 1 a.m., yeah. and then the second game end, started, started one, at 120. And that's when Whitey yeah. did tell, uh, you know, Larry, uh, Harry, you know, this is the shank of the evening for you, Harry. And then everyone from Downey's came to the second game. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. But you were on the field after the game uh, in your underwear. So uh, I think you had been in the video sure, room. Sure, those weren't shorts. <laughs> no, no. You were, you were half naked well, on the field We were in the video way. room. We actually, uh, <laughs> when it happened, uh, because the, the guy in charge, of the video room just had crappy old dirty filthy furniture in there and would never replace it <laughs> but that was where we went that was like you know if you go to a bar, like the lodge in chicago yes. we used to go to the lodge and when the when the lodge would close well on the weekends you'd go in the back and they'd stay open till five which i never one time did a bunch <laughs> <laughs> so it, that's what the video room was like it was like when the clubhouse closes down, you go back. It's the, after it was hours the back club. room. Yeah. It was kind of, kind of, yeah, basically like that. So Waste Day and I had Waste had pitched. I had pitched, and we're sitting there, and and uh, we got a pitcher of beer between us. And when Mitch got the hit, we both leaned forward to stand up. We couldn't just stand straight up because we had been in there a while. So we just kind of leaned forward, and that forced us to stand up. But it also tipped the couch forward, which tipped the beer over. <laughs> And video was saying, "Oh man, I wish I had a, I wish I'd have had that on video." So we did a remake of it. Yeah, and, you reenacted uh, it. Reenacted <laughs> it, and it was, it was pretty close to, to how it went. But that, that I remember that probably as much as anything. <laughs> and where, where did these sunflower seeds on your face? Where did that come from? Um, was that the, was that '93? What year was that? Uh, no, I was doing that for probably since the late '70s, um, and I. I would do it randomly, uh, just get the sunflower seeds, pinch it a little bit. You pinch them open just where they barely crack, and then you just push them onto your face, and they, they pinch your face. It's like seed you puncture. <laughs> seed you puncture. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I I just would do it just random. Did you come just, up with this on yourself, or did, was there like a manual for, for some of this stuff uh, that you came up with? Some of it was just myself, <laughs> I'm afraid to say. When you were younger, like, did you like? I, I was a big Jay Johnstone fan when I was a kid because he was kind of a flake. He was out there. He did all right. that fun stuff. Was there a guy that you liked when you were growing up? That I didn't like a, anybody. No, nah, uh -uh. no, not like that. I, not, not. I mean, I had favorite players, but not for anything other than baseball. Mm -hmm. um, I just and when when I got to the big leagues, uh, one guy that kind of took me under his wings was Snake Pat Dobson. Um, and this guy, he was one of the funniest guys I ever met. And he was just kind of a loose guy, just uh, whatever. And I, I guess maybe I, I took a little page from him to just, hey, be yourself, have fun. And I think that was that's one thing for me throughout my career. And I always say this, like, you, you ha I had to have fun because it, it, I, I was nervous to start with. I, I was nervous every game I came in, and um, which I don't think is a bad thing as long as you know how to use it. But um, if if I didn't have fun or, or do kind of stuff off the cuff, if I sat there and just thought about the game and what I was going to do and if I pitch and who I'd, I'd be like a basket case. And I was already halfway there. So I was like, let's not push this. 
Well, you know, we talked to everybody from that team, and everybody said it's the most fun they've ever had playing baseball. And I got to think, it's a great lesson, right? I mean, if you're having fun, you're going to be more productive no matter what you're yeah. doing. And, uh, I mean, guys had some of their best years that year, and it's because I think everybody was loose and having fun. Yeah, and I think, like, I love what they're doing here in Philly. They, these guys come in, they get their smoke machine or fog machine or whatever, and they get their playing, disco yeah. music and that. Which is all fine, but 20 minutes later, half hour later, they're all gone. And that's the difference. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I love what they're doing because that keeps you close. It it keeps you together. It gives you something to look forward to. Like, let's win this game so we can come in and party. You know, not that they're partying down there like we did, but they're they're together having a good time. But I think what made it so much fun for, for the guys on that 93 team is that when the game ended and we, you know, danced around in a clubhouse for 10 minutes then everybody congregated in the trainer's room much to the chagrin of the media and maybe others but we would sit in there and we would do our partying in there just to kind of like this is our little party space this is our little back room our after hours little place and um and there was 10 12 guys there every single night and probably a minimum of an hour and a half we were in there and the thing about it is I think a lot of people would look back and go, yeah, if they're sitting in there, they're talking about, you know, going out and chasing women here, going to this bar, doing this. You guys this are talking thing. baseball, right? We were talking baseball. We would talk about our game. We would talk about other teams that played. We would talk about who we were playing the next day. And that's when I say going back to when I was younger, the, the thought of what baseball was going to be, that year brought it into fruition or it came to fruition. That was really what I thought it was going to be, sitting around talking about the game, having a beer. And that's what it was. And I think, at least for me, that's what made it the most enjoyable season I ever had in baseball by far. I mean, by far. And um, it it didn't bode well with the families. Um, I think there were seven divorces off of that team shortly after the 93 season. And and not that I'm condoning that. I don't think it's good, but it, it... I guess just kind of explain that's we came together as a a family as a unit and that's why I told my wife that having a beer after the game is part of my job. Well, we're gonna look, hey, Larry, we're going to look at it from a positive way. There's, there's three people that are still married to their, to their first wife. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's a positive way to look that at it. That is absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I've, I've used that job description thing about drinking beer, and it, it just doesn't fly. It's, so. it's a tough one. It's a tough one to get across. Uh, we're going to take a little break. We're going to be right back with Larry Anderson. Celebrate 90s style and music at the Phillies 1990s Retro Night. Wear your shoulder pads and skinny ties and take lots of selfies Friday, June 8th at 7.05 against the Brewers. Tickets and more info at phillies.com. And we're back with John Brazier, Director of Fun and Games, and more importantly, Larry Anderson. Sorry, John, but we got a great guest here we today. We do have a great Good guest. stuff. I love walking down memory lane, 1993. What a season. Uh, you know, we got some other things to talk to you about, Larry, but before uh, we leave the 93 season, you make the playoff. Well, first of all, you win in Pittsburgh. Uh, that was a legendary party. We still use, uh, you know, and see clips of uh, Harry singing high hopes yeah. to everybody in the trainer's room. What do you remember from that night in Pittsburgh? Uh, th- Probably, it's chocolate, was Bill Giles when Schilling smashed him in the face with a pie. And you see this big piece of whipped cream and chocolate hanging out from his chin. And Bill Giles just goes, it's chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember doing interviews, a video gave me the mic, and we went around. And it was my first, uh, I guess my first look into broadcasting. 
So I went around and interviewed a bunch of guys. But the the one thing that, that's always a standard in all of this was Harry coming in the clubhouse. He was as much a part of that team as, as anybody that was on the team that played on that team. Uh, him coming in and singing high hopes. That it was always – I mean, he was revered so much by everybody on that team. And everybody looked forward to it, and everybody learned the words to it. I mean, we would just sit there and sing along with him. And it was uh, – uh, he was like our godfather, you know. It was he was just uh, just so revered, and I, I, that's one thing I, I I just I loved about it was the high hopes. And he gave you a tie, didn't you? Was it that night he gave you that yeah. lucky tie? Yeah, that tie that was covered with champagne, and I wore that tie the whole through the whole playoffs uh, and the World Series. Actually, wore it with my my suit and tie that I had on, and uh, coming home from Toronto after we lost, and I. You never watched it, right? With I it. Mean, never it was... It's still. I still have it, <laughs> sitting on, uh, hanging on my door, uh, inside my closet door. It's still like stiff as as a, a board, at, from all the dried up champagne and beer and whatever else was on it. <laughs> and next up was the Atlanta Braves, and they built this one as America's team versus America's most wanted yes. team. Yeah, you got <laughs> Ted Turner, Jane Fonda, <laughs> yeah, versus. Which, you guys. You know, you guys were no fans of that team. Um, we talked to Mickey. Nor uh, Jane Fonda. Nor Jane Fonda. <laughs> but uh, we talked to Mickey, and he mentioned, uh, you know, Holland's threatening Maddox, uh, you know, in the offseason before, yeah. you know, that uh, season started. But uh, I know you guys weren't big fans of that team, right? No. I, I think the one thing I remember the most is going down there was an article in the, in the sports page about uh, Atlanta. Uh, uh, pay, uh, pay attention, Atlanta. Uh, hide your women and children, and and that was basically something to that effect. And there was an article about like the Phillies are coming to Tampa. That's awesome. <laughs> you better watch. Yeah, it's a comment, I'm like, sure. What we did. The long hair. Uh, the you know uh, tobacco. It was an chewing. intimidating team. And and the one thing, I, and Crucky would tell you too, playing first base, like every other player that came down to first base was like, oh man, I wish I was on this team. You guys just look like yeah, and. Like everybody envied us. Everybody, they, they they wanted to be a part of it. They saw what we had. They saw how much fun we had, um, and and the way we played the game. I mean, I think more than anything, that's forgotten from that '93 team is that game was played right. We played that game right. If Dalton's up and it's a man on second and there's nobody out, he's hitting the ground ball or he's hitting something hard to the right side. He's getting that run. It didn't matter where he was hitting in the lineup. He got him over. If somebody had to put down a bunt and they did it on their own, they did whatever they and did. And you guys took uh, I mean, took long counts, like basically, basically ran pitchers out of the uh, – I mean, just the on-base percentage for the top five, six guys were unbelievable. Oh, the walks. I mean, yeah. what – Three or four guys, guys had 100 blocks. Yeah. yeah, it was unreal. Where were you when you guys clinched against Atlanta, knowing you're going to the World Series? When you see that that famous image of was it Milt that tripped on the dugout? Who who tripped on the dugout? Somebody was going coming out up the steps. Going, yeah. yeah, coming up the steps. Ch- Chamberlain. Chamberlain. Was it Chamberlain? Yeah. yeah. Where were, were you in the dugout then, or were you coming out of the bullpen? Come, uh, good question. I was coming out of the bullpen. Okay. Wasn't I? I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming out of the bullpen. I I just. Uh, that that was I remember Tommy Green holding up the big uh, NL pennant thing. I remember doing an interview with Scott Palmer. Uh, I was in my shorts. Had I think I had a ice bag on my shoulder. Maybe that was a different time, but it doesn't matter. Ah, it all runs it together. It all runs together. But, but it, it was just uh, one of the things I remember most is Mickey Morandini off of Maddox. He owned Maddox, and and it was like there's Mick being Mick, you know. Yeah. And then it was a big, uh, I think a triple hit down in the corner, a double or a triple. Um, kind of blew the game open, and and I think 
people I don't think anybody was surprised we beat Atlanta. I think they were I think everybody was dumbstruck because of, you know, Smoltz, Glavin, uh Maddox and and of course we had Tommy Green, Shield, Danny Jackson. I mean yep. we had an arsenal too. Yeah, and then uh, on to Toronto, and uh, I remember uh, Dutch uh, saying, you know, after that ball went over the fence that Carter hit, you know, his first reaction was, what am I going to do tomorrow? You yeah. know, because uh, you enjoyed coming to the ballpark so much. What were your thoughts, uh, you know, about the series and the way it ended? Um, I think just that it was it was over. It, it, was, it was almost like disbelief. Like, this, this can't end right now. It can't. It can't be over. This, this is our life. This is what we. This is what I've loved. This is what I've I've dreamt of. I've I've cherished this time, and now what? You know, kind of like that's what am I going to do tomorrow? But it was just, I guess, numbing. But in the same respect, I also look back and go, what a year! What a team! What a from from worst to first from from everybody picking us to finish last to being in the world series like no, nobody can take that away from us and to light up the city you did i mean just the the whole the way the city reacted that year just uh you know i think we had a, a million tickets sold before the season season tickets and all that we sold over two million tickets just on game days you know which is amazing i mean the, the city really fell in love with that team that's really what what made me fall in love with the city um, I had, you know, obviously been here 83 to 86, but I didn't live here in the off season. I still live back in the Northwest. Um, but after 93, I went back home. I stayed, I, I lived at home, but coming back in 94, which was my last year in the big leagues, I, it was, the, the city was still on fire. They were, st and th that's, that's when I fell in love here. And that's when I stayed here. That's, I, I haven't left so then you got into coaching right? right you were coaching at Reading, i believe and you were involved in a uh a little hijinks with wayne gomes tell that story yeah well espn the magazine had called me and said hey you know we know you do pranks you like to do stuff you're you know a goofy guy uh anything you could come up with for us for our show so i said oh yeah i can come up with some wayne gomes was our number one pick in 93 i believe and uh he he was always he was a starter at the time, and I, I was a, a player coach, a pitching coach, and so the pitchers would always have to chart the game. The starter for the next day would have to chart the game the night before, write down every pitch, what it was, ball or strike, and so on. So every time somebody was charting, Wayne Gomes would come by and break their pencil. I'm like, stop it, because I'd have to go back into the clubhouse right. to get a pencil, and that's going through the crowd and reading, you know, and going in and getting, like – stop i said if you don't stop this you're gonna pay and he just kind of left <laughs> crack <laughs> so uh i talked with bill dancy george culver was our pitching uh, coach uh, coordinator um and it went to lee thomas to to gomes's agent so we got espn the magazine brought james chang in who was not even japanese he was korean <laughs> right. but we told uh, dancy told the club that hey there's a japanese documentary that these guys are doing it's about america's minor leagues and so they're going to come around and talk to everybody, and and so you know it's just just be cordial with them and, and give them your time. Well, so they go around, they decide that well this is the time we're going to trade Gomes. So we had letterhead, we had everything set up. So Dancy calls Gomes into the office and says he's traded to Japan. He said it's just for a year, you know you're still our property, blah blah blah. So then Dance came out and we had a meeting, and he said anybody want to say anything and. 
you know, meanwhile, you know, Larry Mitchell, who's Gomes' best friend, he's crying. Uh, <laughs> Gomes, he's trying to give him his red uh, spikes, and Mitch is throwing him. I don't want your shoes, I, you know. And, and it was we, we just carried yeah, it on. Was he on the phone with his mom? Oh. <laughs> he calls his mom, and and so they're, and they were recording all this. And he goes, "Yeah, mom, I just I just got I got traded to Japan. I got to leave. I think it was a Friday, so I got to leave Sunday. Um, I'm going to 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 the yes, it's Juicy Matchasusies or something. It's it's Nomo's <laughs> old team, and that's how he said it. He didn't. Right. It was like, um, but he's like, it's Nomo's old team, and he tried to call his fiance. She wasn't there. I mean, it was just we had him going so on and so. At the end of it all, it went on for about an hour, and we had a meeting, and Nancy was like, does anybody have anything to say? And I said, yeah, I'd like to just say how, how much I appreciated Gomesy being here. Um, it's been fun. We wish he could stay because we got a chance to win a championship, blah, blah, blah. And and uh, and also, I just I want to say that, you know, Grimace, I called him, I had a nickname for all the pitchers. I said, Grimace, um, I just want you to know that with all those pencils you broke, and I told you I'd get you back, I said, I just got you back. Nice. And, oh, you see, there the must be the biggest, biggest sense of relief. Grin. Oh my God! I mean, his his the corners of his lips yeah. went to his ears. Yeah. He was, I mean, he had his literally had his bag packed. His locker was empty. Yeah. And uh, didn't he? That, didn't is this a tall story? But I heard the Wayne Gomes. He was charting pitches at Reading, and the Rubbish Ranger. Yeah. Didn't he do it with the Rubbish Ranger <laughs> yeah. and Deputy Debris? Yeah. Supposedly, the story I've heard is that he was charting pitches, and some lady came down to ask for his autograph, and he said, and he had to pay attention to every pitch because he's charting pitches, and he said, "I'll get you, you know, after the inning." Well, the lady just wouldn't, <laughs> wasn't very happy. Went up three rows and, and got more and more upset, threw the ball at Wayne Gomes, hit him in the back of the head. Wayne turns around, and all, at that time, the rubbish ranger, which is like a 14-year-old kid that's in a Boy Scout outfit, who's cleaning up in the, uh, and Deputy Debris, who's his little assistant, yeah. like Batman and Robin, happened to pass right past the lady. And so Wayne Gomes thought it was the rubbish ranger and the Deputy Debris that were basically threw the ball. Yeah. <laughs> and he got, it, got into it with Oh, him. yeah. And I think Ed Wade got a phone call. Uh, your number one draft pick just got. <laughs> there, there was another one with Gomes. He, he had, uh, I want to say when he was a starter, he had like, like six box in the first inning. He just could not come to a stop from the stretch position. So there's a guy that just sat just behind the on-deck circle by our dugout, and he's just – he'd give up, I think, six runs in the inning. And, and this – or seven maybe. And this guy is just airing, just wearing him out, wearing him out. Well, this guy he always had headsets on, and you could tell by looking at him he was blind. But he sat there and just – he loved baseball. He loved listening to the games and just – and being there. Well – after that inning, Gomes, he comes in the dugout and he goes, who's that guy that's hooting on me? I want to go kick his butt. And I'm like, well, you probably could, Grimace, but it wouldn't be fair. The guy's blind. And he just kind of slumped down in his <laughs> dugout seat. Uh, well, that was a good team, too. Yeah, they won, was, the, uh, won the championship. Yeah, the yeah. championship. Yeah. But I got to tell you what, Tom, if you want to lose weight, <laughs> go out with Larry Anderson, especially on a road trip. I went to Mexico with this guy. So it was Larry Anderson and myself. We were all single at the time. Larry Anderson and myself, Tommy Brennan, who's our good friend. Bartender. Bartender Downies. Mm -hmm. We went to Mexico, and it was it – was <laughs> It was a train wreck. Why'd so, you lose weight? Well, because you you're laughing so hard at all the stories he's got, <laughs> all the jokes he does. You know, Tommy Brennan's bringing out these practical jokes. My favorite one on the trip was we were all hanging out by the pool and uh, having, you know, again, a little adult beverage. And 
in Mexico, they have a lot of guys, a lot of people that are on the beach that are selling things. So they're constantly, if you go on the beach, you're, you're basically susceptible to basically being sold. But there's a serious drop There's off. a drop, yes. So there's like guys on the beach selling jewelry and, and selling clothing and whatever. Well, again, there is a drop off, so we can only see the you know like the tips of people's heads. Well, we're on the beach. All of a sudden, Larry says, "Oh my God, look at that! That that parasailer is getting really close, right? <laughs> like the parasail because there's tons of parasailing out in the ocean." He said, "It's getting really close. It's like almost getting to us." Oh my God! Like he's getting a little scared. It was literally some some a vendor, <laughs> a vendor who had like a toy, a toy uh, flying, up the, flying up in the air, and it was going right past <laughs> us. Boy, there were some adult parasailers. Is being consumed <laughs> on the top of a string. <laughs> well, I love it, Tom Brennan. Your part, you know, the first time we did a cruise, we we did the Caribbean yeah. cruise with a bunch of fans, and I brought my wife, and everybody's bringing their spouse. L.A. brings his bartender. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Right, right away, as Vuk would say, right away you got a hunch. <laughs> Larry and I also do we do a mind game. We do this, uh, this we call it Snaps, where you can we can basically read each other's minds. So we've done it with many celebrities here. We've done it with uh, Uncle Junior from Sopranos. Right. We did it with uh, Senator Toomey. Right. We did it with Okafor. We did. We just did it with um, Ben Simmons. We did, yeah, we do it with a lot of different celebrities. We were famous out there because here we are. We did it to all the different bars up along the beach in Cabo. And next thing you know, we'd, we'd walk past and be like, Larry, John, come here. And there'd be a, lot, there'd be a line of chefs and waitresses and bartenders wanting us to guess their dog's name. Uh, yeah. Well, certainly uh, in the press club, too. I'm not a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't quite get it. Snuffleupagus. I, I came around. I came around. Yes, John, you, did. You, um, you had that look in your eyes and. Uh, I'm, everybody's ready to head for Z Hills <laughs> because you're gonna about you're about ready to give Larry Anderson a trivia challenge. But he should get this. We always get uh -oh. Larry. We, we do a trivia challenge to all of our guests, and I always butcher it somehow in some some form. But it's always to somebody's area of expertise. So obviously we talked about the '93 season, and this is going to be about that '93 team. Okay, yeah, so now, now this should be pretty should straightforward. Be you know, right. just to construct a question that has one answer. Okay, okay? this should be easy. Yeah. But it's not. <laughs> so let's start. We'll, Not for you. It should we'll, be easy we'll start, for John to even. I, put I don't know the how many together. questions. I've got about seven questions. We'll see how how we go. Okay. Kevin Stock, question number one. By the way, uh, Tom, what does he win? He is playing for the John Cruck pullover that we're giving out on Sunday, Chevy's Father's Appreciation Day. Yep. Everybody's uh, 15 and over going to get the John All Cruck men 15 uh, and over because it's our Father's yeah, Day Pretty game. good father's chance day. that's not going to fit me. <laughs> There's a pretty good <laughs> chance. There is a pretty good chance. It might swim on you a little bit. After but, those uh, $47 dogs you ate last time, Stan. <laughs> All right, I've got six questions. So I think if he gets four out of six, would, he that, gets be, the would that be good, right? Correct. All right. You ready? Yeah. All right. Kevin Stocker was called up from Scranton during the year to play shortstop. Name the player he replaced. Juan Bell. Juan Bell is correct. Bang. He is one for one. How about that? Nice. He's the guy that didn't know Schmitty. Is that right? Didn't know Juan who Bell Mike Schmidt did. was. Oh. Well, and also, and speaking of that 93 team, Duncan, now the story is, I guess, he used to play cards with Richie Ashburn on the plane right. all the time. When Richie Ashburn was inducted to the Hall of Fame, Richie gets out there and is honored pregame, and Duncan supposedly said, that guy played? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. All right. Number question number two. Who made the error in the ninth inning of game one of the NLCS versus Braves and came back in the bottom of the Kim ninth Batiste. and collected Kim the game-winning hit? Kim Batiste. All right. Ready? This gets a little tougher here. Okay. What reliever on the 1993 team went on to have the most career saves? Mike Williams. That is incorrect. <laughs> no, Bobby Thigpen. Bobby Thigpen is correct. You were just kidding on the other one. Yes. 
All right. On Mother's Day, 1993, Duncan hit a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth. Mm. Lee Arthur Smith. Bang. Off which famous closer? Lee Arthur Smith. Right. All right. We're going to get we're two. This is Wait, time out. He's already won. You've already won. You're going for bonus oh, okay. points now. So bonus now bonus points. Finish the question. Can, can I just say, was that one of the greatest moments of that oh, season when, that when he hit that phenomenal. grand slam? I've never – I mean, the vet shook that day. It the, was unbelievable. I, I think – I know it doesn't sound like a lot compared to the 300 – game sellout we had here, but we went through a stretch where there was over 40,000 a game. Yep, yep, over 25 dates, that's right. And that was, I mean, that's, everybody just, they they just gravitated to the team. It was so cool. Yeah, and that one was the, uh, well, it's the end of, Milt made that great catch in San Diego. Yeah, uh, David Um, saved a grand slam. David West was pitching. Yep, Uh, Mickey Morandini, an unassisted triple play, or double play play. in Los Angeles. And then when when he hit that uh, home run, Mariano, or the grand slam, it was just... uh, (laughs) You know, it it got to the point where nothing surprised us when we won with a game we were down nine to nothing. And was it, I think, Hickerson mm-hmm. or Dick Dickerson or somebody like that pitching against us? And he was he was dealing. And somebody hit a line drive back at him. He caught it for the third out and maybe the fifth inning or something. Oh, he slammed it he down. He spiked the ball. Right. That that was the end of his day, pretty much. We ended up coming back and winning that game. And I was like. It was, and then to go in a clubhouse and sit there and talk about it for an hour and a half, two hours yeah, yeah, yeah. was just oh. awesome. Sorry, right. John. Two more, two more bonus questions. No, it's go good. Ahead. Two more bonus questions. This is this is where it's going to get a little convoluted. On Saturday, September fourth, in nineteen ninety three, the Phils lost to the Reds six to five, but they set an NL record in doing so. Do you know what the record was? Uh, walks in a game. No, they said a, you guys set a NL league record by not being shut out in 151 consecutive games. You guys extended it to 171 uh, before being shut out finally by the Pirates. The major league record is 308. So yeah, that that wow. but that shows that team you never got shut out. No, you know you never did. All right, so that was bonus. But th- I think you're going to get this one. We're going to end on this one. Who was the starting pitcher in the final spring training game in 1993 for the Red Sox, who no hit the Phillies? Um, that it was the last spring training game. It's a very famous pitcher, pitched for the Red Sox, and he no hit you guys. So you would think that maybe coming out of spring training, you know, it could be off to a rough start. But no, you guys went out like gangbusters. Do you remember who that was? Louis Tiant. It was not Louis Tiant. Uh, his Louis initials. Tiant. His initials are <laughs> FV. Frank Viola. Frank Viola is that? correct. All right. Well, you won the John Crux Chevrolet yes. Men's Appreciation gift we're doing. Pullover, all men 15 and over. There nice. it is. I thought you were going to ask uh, L.A. who led the uh, 93 team in batting average. Who, wh- who led the uh, Phillies team in batting average? In 93. Crucky. No. Right. Wasn't it yourself? You did. You batted well, 1,000. You got it, a hit that year. Yeah. That. But I actually, that's not the... A few years before, I started off the year hitting 2,000, which is probably my best offensive year. Yeah, that's a real good <laughs> can year. You, can you, in, the, in the day of uh, analytics, can you explain that? <laughs> what? Oh, no. I <laughs> no, I think by your math, you have a quote saying you you had uh, five hit. You were five yeah. for 11. Right. Five four hits. Four for 11. Yeah, four for 11. Yeah. Four hits in 11 seasons. In, right. in the National League. In I National played 11 League. years in the National League. I got a hit in four of them. So, consequently, I'm a career 364 hitter, boys. Wow. It's impressive. That is a very impressive. <laughs> Got to make the numbers work. <laughs>
John, I think uh, we're going to wrap things up. Larry, uh, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you for hanging uh, out after that 93 season and hanging out in Philadelphia and staying here. We're all uh, happy you did. We didn't even ask him about umpires. We went a whole know, segment without, like, were you, Adam, we were trying before to we wrap keep up, this up, <laughs> were you, well, did you come out of the womb just hating umpires? And what did you do to Joe West's hat? I used Joe West's hat. You had to do it. You went there, didn't you? I, had I, did. to, I used Joe's hat, I guess I could say, for a urinal yeah. <laughs> in, in Puerto Rico. Well, did and he Winnipeg. miss a call? I mean, to, what do you no, do? If no, there, it was a friendly thing. It's, it's uh, a long yeah. story. Long story, yeah. But to this, to this day, and it happened last homestand when Joe West was umpiring here in Philadelphia, turned around before the game started, looked up at me, took his hat off, and suddenly – Yes. Dropped it down and put it back on his head as a in remembrance of me using his hat for other purposes than wearing it on your head. I'm sure he deserved it. <laughs> no. No. He didn't. He didn't. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, but, but these days you would do it out of anger. That was out yes. more out of just yes. having fun. I liked umpires then. Not I really anymore. Did. I did. I enjoyed it. They were great. They were they'd talk to you. They you could have a conversation with you. Go to the bull. Today, it's everything is just controversial, whether it's the way they look at you, they say something, you can't, it's like, oh, please. All right, we better we better wrap it up. <laughs> no, boy, yeah, time to stop. <laughs> we were going to end on such a high note, but uh, Larry. <laughs> we got the Joe S story. In <laughs> we, did, we did. Right. L.A., thanks for being here. Really appreciate you coming in. Talking 93 Phils. Rob Brooks, thanks for uh, all your help back there as our engineer. John Brazier. Just another sure outstanding, some, some of your best work. <laughs> skip and, skip uh, Denenberg. We will uh, wrap this up, and we're going to do it again next week. And in the meantime, maybe we'll see you at the ballpark. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.